Hello and welcome to the Wellness Trinity Podcast, where we interview top holistic experts and bring you natural solutions for modern day wellness. Let's get started with your host, Dr. Jacqueline. Hi, welcome. Thank you for joining the Wellness Trinity podcast. I'm Dr. Jacqueline, owner of the Wellness Trinity, where we provide natural solutions for modern day wellness. Just a little disclaimer before we get started. What we discuss in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. What you do with the information is to be used at your discretion as the recommendations are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any diseases. So I took a break from this podcast for the last few months while I was getting situated in my new home and I have been creating this cerebral detox program which I am happy to announce is ready to go and I'm ready to coach you all to overall health and wellness in it and I'm just go ahead and visit cerebraldetox.com for more information on that so we have a special series that we wanted to do on the coronavirus because it's a hot topic right now and I'm sure a lot of people have questions about it. And my husband, Paul, has been doing a lot of research on it. He is a certified natural health professional and has been, he's been keeping up with this. So he thought, why, why not ex- interview some experts? So he's gonna be joining us today. Welcome, Paul. Thank you. And then we're going to have Dr. Teal. So I had him on a previous podcast, and we discussed um, hormones and the gender fluidity topic, so you can go ahead and look back on that. And he is an expert in food nutrient supplements. He is also a holistic doctor, and I'm sure he could tell you all kinds of amazing things that he's done, and you can listen to our last podcast on his wealth of information and past research and books that he wrote. But today, we're going to just dive right in and talk about the coronavirus. So, Dr. Teal, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me again, Dr. Jackman. So, what is the coronavirus? Well, a coronavirus is a type of virus that they say has a crown or halo, And that's why they call it a coronavirus. To me, it doesn't look like a halo and it doesn't look like a crown. But they say when you look at it, you know, I've looked at it microscopically uh, in the past and that's that's what it says. Now I'm familiar with them. Uh, In a sense, I started to warn people about the possibility of them being an issue back in uh, 2013 and 2014. There were some things going on actually in Saudi Arabia at that time. And they were actually warning people who were coming to uh, Saudi Arabia for uh, uh, Islamic uh, meetings, et cetera, uh, about it back then. And I also did some other research uh, in 2018, 2019. I warned people that there's a possibility that humans may accidentally engineer something that may end up being a problem for humanity. Now, I'm not saying that the coronavirus, by the way, was necessarily engineered, but a lot of people think it was. Uh, but I don't think the Chinese are, you know, intentionally uh, released it or anything. But anyway, coronavirus, uh, so some famous ones would be the, uh, the SARS virus, uh, uh, or the, as well as the MERS virus. And with SARS, right now, uh, as we're doing this particular podcast, more people have died from the, uh, uh, the novel, the new coronavirus. They call it uh, N or novel uh, coronavirus or N2019 because they think it's, it's new. And that's actually one of the reasons why people wonder if this might actually be an engineered virus or if it 
popped up like a lot of other things have, which basically is because of how certain animals are raised and handled in Asia, particularly in this case, China. And they think that perhaps bats were involved, some of said snakes and other types of things I don't eat. So <laughs> anyway, that's where they think that somehow it came about. I got my own theories, but uh, but I've been, again, I've been following the coronavirus off and on, at least since 2013, since I started writing about it. Hmm. So are all of them deadly to humans? No, most of them actually aren't. Now, what's interesting about the coronavirus is on one hand, I saw a headline today that, you know, over 10,000 people died of the flu. Uh, therefore, in the official stats as of time we're doing this is around 1,000 people with the, uh, the coronavirus. But the difference between a normal flu, if you could call it that, and the uh, novel coronavirus is that the death rate is higher with the coronavirus. Uh, mm. It's a lot higher. It's, it's mm. depending on how you look at it. I was looking at some stats today because I went over to the uh, Centers for uh, Disease Control website looking at stats. And it looks like this one's like 20 times as deadly. That doesn't mean everybody dies who has it. But one of the reasons people are concerned about it is basically because uh, that there's a higher death rate than if you just mm. caught the flu. Mm, okay. Yeah, it did seem like there was a lot of deaths from the flu that uh, were not being looked at while this is being pumped. But that makes sense. I mean, if this is more deadly, then it is a bit more concerning than just some regular flu. So do you think that there's, um, you know, how it's called the novel coronavirus? Do you think the novel part has any anything special to think about? Well, there are a couple of possibilities. First of all, there is a biological research lab in Wuhan, China, which is where this thing originated. And I mean, there's all kinds of theories going out there that perhaps it was originally from Canada or something else and somebody smuggled it over there to do biological warfare research or whatever. And I don't know. What I do know is that it's new meaning novel, so it's different. Is it possible that they were doing something in a research lab in Wuhan and they got uh, released or maybe something similar got released and got into all of that? That's certainly possible, but we don't know and not sure if we're officially going to know. I know that uh, there have been some official inquiries as to the, into that, but the reality is even if it wasn't intentionally novel or intentionally made, it's there now. And again, I don't believe that uh, the United States, for example, I read some theory that the United States intentionally released it. I don't believe that. I don't believe the Chinese intentionally released it either. But I do believe when human beings are getting involved with genetic editing of certain things, that that's extremely risky. And it's possible, again, they were working something in a lab in their so-called fail-safe systems or uh, other ways to try to block it, didn't block it, and somebody perhaps was out at, the, at a market, and somehow bats got it, and the bank, bats acted as an incubator, if you will, and then passed it on. Okay, so you think it came from a lab, and then went to bats, and then went to humans? I think it could have come from a lab. Oh, okay. I do th okay, I don't know for sure that it did. It wouldn't, I, I guess I'm trying to say, it wouldn't surprise me if it did. Mm -hmm. um, and, and again, novel meaning it's a new strain. But again, we do get new strains of viruses from Asia, basically because of various animal raising practices and agricultural practices over there. So if this one's novel because the lab happens to be there or because the animals, I don't know. But the fact that the lab is also there makes you kind of suspect that maybe uh -huh. it could be, there, there could be some involvement. And as 
as I said earlier, uh, back in 2018 and 2019, I wrote some articles warning about the possibility that humans may engineer viruses or other pathogenic organisms, and there could be problems associated with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So once a human is infected, how does a virus replicate itself and spread? Uh, it basically goes in and it goes to the host cell and it affects uh, your RNA and, and basically gets your body to kind of make it reproduce. And so what you want to do is something like that. If you're faced with it, of course, you hope your immune system can go and fight it off. But I went to the Centers for Disease Control's website today to see what they had to say in case there was something new about it, you know, some great treatment. Now you're sitting down for this because I'm looking at you sitting down. So would you like to know what the, how they say is the best way to deal with it? Yes. Don't get it. That's, <laughs> yeah, that that's what like they you. say. They say don't get it, and then they basically say don't. They don't have an. They don't have a vaccine for it. They don't really have an antiviral for it. Okay. So obviously you don't want to get it. Mm -hmm. uh, in our case, um, I'll tell you something happened to us uh, uh, a little while back. I received a telephone call from a from a woman, and she was all concerned about the coronavirus. And I said, why are you so concerned about it? You're, it's, as far as we know, it's not in the United States yet. This is a while ago. And she says, there is it. It is the United States. I said, okay. And it's in Washington State where I live, <laughs> the first case. Uh. And so she was all concerned. And I told her, look, I haven't seen anybody with it. I'm not certain how I would, would treat it. But if, I was, if someone was to ask me about it, what would I do? I would try to support my immune system. Mm -hmm. and we would use things such as uh, various herbs, like, uh, for example, Chinese herbs. Uh, we've got a product called uh, Virocron. And I'm not saying, by the way, that's a treatment for coronavirus, but when the lady asked me, what could she do to support her immune system for viruses in general, I said that. Uh, we also have something called Virobac YST, which is basically Western herbs, uh, oregano, olive leaf, uh, buckwheat, and beets. And then there's other things that be done. For example, we've liked something called Conjimmune, which helps support the, uh, the immune system. But that, the other two are vegan products, and Conjimmune is not a vegan product. And for deep infections, or to deal with them, I like to take something called intracellular cough. So, but I told her, I said, look, I haven't dealt with it yet. And so I haven't been faced with somebody coming uh, in front of me with either SARS or MERS or coronavirus. But I know in my case, if I thought I might be affected by it, I would uh, strengthen my immune system. But so far, where I'm sitting and talking to you, and nobody in this area has it as far as we know. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, Paul, why don't you go and tell us what, what are the current statistics on this virus? Before we get into that, I had a question, uh, Dr. Teal, about MERS and SARS. Now, I know MERS is, um, for the audience, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, and SARS is Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. Are all, do all coronaviruses attack the respiratory system? Is that the way they invade the body and start spreading? All is a bit too generic. I would say okay. generally, but not necessarily all. Okay. So now, this particular coronavirus does attack the, the respiratory system, correct? The yes. novel coronavirus of 2019. Okay. Yes. Now, back in um, January 25th, that's in January, these, the coronavirus really started popping up on my newsfeed quite often. 
Um, and Jan- by January 25th, I was pretty much um, pretty well versed in what was going on at that time. And the current numbers at that time were 1,300 infected cases, 41 deaths. Um, fast forward to today, uh, also during that time, the coronavirus had already spread to a few other countries. So it had made its way to Australia, um, as well as France and the United States. Um, at that time, probably when he spoke to, uh, to the lady you had mentioned, uh, was about this time. And there was only two cases in the United States, one in Seattle, Washington, and one in Chicago, Illinois. If we fast forward to today, um, my numbers might be off by a little bit, but we had 900 plus deaths and approximately 40,000 infected. Like you had mentioned earlier, we passed the, the death rate for the SARS outbreak in uh, 2002-2003. With this type of spread of the disease, is it possible that we are facing a global pandemic here? Well, they've actually, the World Health Organization actually did declare it a a pandemic, I think, last week. Now, the question is, you know, how serious will it it be? Uh, Those of us from a more of a biblical perspective realize that things such as pestilences were forecast to be, by Jesus, to be part of the beginning of sorrows. Whether this will become a more serious one, we don't know. And part of the reason we don't know is you've got the situation over in China. You've got massive cities quarantined in ways that wouldn't be practical, uh, seemingly practical in the United States without a lot of government enforcement. And we don't really know the full number. I also heard reports about what's going on in North Korea and Apparently, they don't really report the numbers either. Uh, and so, you know, the 40,000 is, is what the, uh, the mainstream news is reporting. And that might be right. On the other hand, I've seen reports that has it uh, over a million. But uh, again, I, that's not been uh, corroborated. So I don't know if that's true or not. But, but we'll watch and see. You know, I, I mentioned, uh, you know, Jesus had a, a prophecy about this. But also in Mark 13, 37, he said, uh, what I say to you, I say to you all, which is watch. So he didn't list the coronavirus, by the way. <laughs> but <laughs> enough things that, you know, I started paying attention to the coronavirus back in 2013, mostly from a theological perspective, because I said, in, in our practice, I haven't run across it. I've got a PhD in nutrition science, and I don't tend to see coronaviruses because the people around here don't have it. But, I, but, if it, but if it were to come here, I, you know, I've told you the ideas I have. And again, when somebody asked me about it, I told her what I would take if, it was, if, if I was exposed. If I thought I might be exposed to it, but so far, I don't believe I have been. Mm-hmm. Now, the story goes uh, that this was, the virus came from a wet market in China, which is really a vestige of old China. Um, it's, it's a place, it's really part of their culture where they gather. There's a lot of stuff that we wouldn't, find appealing here in the United States, um, bats and snakes that they eat and such like this. And the official story is that this was a bat or snake, like you had said, virus that infected a, a human and started spreading. Is this, is this something that we've always been around, um, animals being able, viruses being able to jump from animal to human, or is this a new trend that we are facing? Because there we have a few of these that are here with SARS, MERS, and now the NCOV 2019? Well, if you look through history, there have been instances of uh, zootic uh, 
infections, infections that affect animals passing over to humans. Not all of them do. And at first they weren't convinced that would necessarily happen with the coronavirus uh, or, or the humans could pass it to other humans and they found that it could. I, I don't know if it's completely new because again, throughout history, uh, to, to get a little bit gross, they suspect that, for example, one of the reasons that humans ended up getting sexually transmissible diseases is they got them from animals. Okay. So uh, the idea that diseases can pass from one species to the other, that, that's, that's gone on. But lately, it does seem like it's a bit more of it. And part of it's probably because you've got greater concentrations of people in smaller areas. And uh, the, the idea about bats, I finally ended up seeing the 2011 movie called Contagion. I don't know if you, have, if you saw that. Yeah. Uh, talking about some infection. And after they get over this big problem, at the end of the movie, they show uh, a bat drop, uh, going somewhere and making, dropping something, hinting that that's going to start it all over again. And, and now, now we hear this with bats uh, with, uh, with the coronavirus. So it, I personally don't believe people should eat bats, okay, or snakes, uh, but people do. And because they do, I think it makes it, I think it makes it worse. Uh, I would go back to the Old Testament and say those things you really weren't supposed to eat. And it may be part of the reason that uh, I believe God inspired that was to prevent us from getting certain problems that we're getting today. Uh, some of other opinions, of course, but I, I, don't, I don't eat those things. And uh, it doesn't mean I couldn't catch it because once, it's, once it starts passing from one human to others, then other human beings have been found to catch it. Yeah, it's pretty, um, it's pretty concerning. I mean, these numbers, this is an exponential growth. And like you had said, there's many people speculating that the numbers we are receiving from the CCP are at maybe 10 times less than what they really are. And with the disease spreading that fast um, and already made its way into over 25 countries, it does cause quite a bit of concern. We have a lot of people that are coming to us. People are either very concerned, very confused, or not concerned at all. Um, should we be concerned here in the United States of maybe perhaps coronavirus, but the United States in general has a pretty sick population. We're battling our own epidemic here, like you had mentioned before with the flu, where you have, you know, a lot of, I was surprised by the numbers to hear what you had said. I think you said uh, a thousand people have already have died this flu season. Um, I think it's 10,000. Oh, 10,000. Wow. That's, that's a thousand scary. So is this coronavirus approximately, uh, at least according to the, the official numbers were, over, were as of Sunday, day for, yes, for yesterday, they were 900 and something, but since about a hundred officially died that day, probably even more today. But, it's, but and by the way, in the defense of the Chinese government, I don't even know if they know how many have died, okay, from this, mm. or how many people actually have it, because have, they haven't tested everybody. No. But Has there yeah, ever I been a quarantine? Is susceptible to uh, pestilence and other, and other types of things. We, we, mis, we mislead ourselves or, or deceive ourselves to think things can't happen here. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll give you a classic example. One is that we use a lot of genetically modified crops here, okay? And 
one of the things was one of the crops was supposed to prevent some type of a corn borer worm or something from destroying the roots. And sure enough, it ended up happening later anyway. They didn't think that could happen. So we're at risk, for example, of loss of food. And as far as genetically modifying things, I'll tell you another story related to that. Uh, in 2018, I read a story that they were going to try to prevent the Zika virus by genetically altering mosquitoes. So they get a new type of mosquito that after they reproduce, they would be weaker and easier to kill. Now, this is in 2018 related to the Zika virus. In 2018, I wrote that I said, they don't know what they're doing. There's a big risk here. They could end up getting something that's harder to kill. Sure enough, in September of 2019, a report came out. Oh, well, we tried to do this. But we had this unintended consequence that it turns out that when we tried to make the mosquitoes weaker, their offspring were actually stronger. Hmm. So I mentioned that because people think, oh, you know, I say we got all these scientists and we could do all this stuff and we're, we're just all fine from it. But uh, various tinkerings that the United States is doing with biology and genetics and other types of things, I think this is going to make us more susceptible to certain problems in the future that we may accidentally cause or contribute. And you mentioned about Americans in general, as Americans get heavier and their diets get more processed, I think the immune system doesn't work as well. And I think that also makes us more susceptible. Now, in terms of, um, as we were talking about the disease, how it replicates and how it spreads, what are some precautions that we can take on a daily basis to try to prevent um, the spread of perhaps just the common influenza and other diseases in general? Okay, well, one is to try to have, uh, which is not the first recommendation that you can hear from the government, <laughs> and that is improve your diet. Now, I know a lot of people don't think it makes any difference, but uh, early nature past said that basically you're not going to get a disease unless the body can host it. And the body can host it if you've got a lot of toxins or you're eating things that you shouldn't do, shouldn't eat so much of. As a matter of fact, let me just make a comment about this. Somebody will come in the office sometimes and they're all congested and such. And I'll say to them, do you know what the word mucus is short for? And they'll say, no. I said, well, it's short for mucopolysaccharide, <laughs> saccharide being sugar. <laughs> and so I'll tell them, you know, generally speaking, when people are fighting colds and stuff, they should try not to have much sugar. And I would say also in terms of the immune system in general, having a lot of processed sugar is not a good thing. I mention that because, you know, if you go to different spots in airports particularly, and this is not just with the coronavirus, I've seen people predominantly Asian over the last several years wearing masks and stuff in airports, but most of those masks don't actually prevent people from getting viruses. Now there's, there's a, some other investigation that they think may, and so I read, read about some new ones that they hope to have released maybe six months or a year from now, I don't know when they're gonna be released, but the normal masks that people are talking about or that you see people wearing, that mostly reduces their risk to you, mm -hmm. as well as if you were to actually cough on them, uh, would probably help them. But otherwise, that doesn't seem to be a major way to prevent it. So I have not been going around wearing a mask because of this. Plus, again, I don't think it's in our area. Uh, washing your hands more often is a good idea. Uh, not putting your hands in your mouth when you haven't washed them. Uh, you know, when you particularly if you've been out, out in other environments where there's lots of people, a lot of people putting their hands on certain things. Uh, those are that. 
Furthermore, this will sound strange to a lot of people, exercise. If you exercise regularly and uh, you exercise the point of sweating, you can reduce toxins, and I think that strengthens your immune system. And of course, we talked about nutritional supplements. We, have, we own a supplement company, obviously we think uh, supplements are helpful. And uh, certain ones you can take, to, we believe, to help boost your immune system. Uh, I take, my wife takes, my kids take. I mean, <laughs> so, you know, we're big believers in that as well. Um, we take them. <laughs> yes, <laughs> of course. We bought a couple boxes of uh, some of the ones that you recommended. So we're definitely in agreement with that. Okay. So anyway, those, those would be the, the, the basic things that I would, uh, I would say. And if, if you think you may have been exposed to something, uh, then if I was taking something, I would, I would take more of it. Or if I wasn't taking some stuff to support my immune system, I would take more help strengthen my immune system to reduce the virus's ability to, uh, to replicate, because I think that can be done nutritionally. While this isn't really popular, I'll mention that, uh, let's see, back in the early 90s, I submitted a few proposals to the National Institutes of Health on the use of nutrition and herbs to help prevent the replication of a particular virus, which I won't mention on the air right now. And at least twice, the uh, National Institutes of Health uh, Institutes of Health concluded my work has significant scientific merit. That was the good news. Now, unless I always sound totally positive, let me tell you the bad news. Oh. So they asked me a bunch more questions each, with each of my submittals, and I answered them. Finally, they wrote me a letter, and more or less, and you'll love this, this is from the United States government, their great expert said, basically, you know, you answered all of our questions, you provide proper, you provided the scientific responses, but we really don't understand herbs and nutrition. So just, we're not, we're not going to go there. Even after, this is twice after they told me in writing that my work has significant scientific merit. Questions. And so that's, that's disappointing because a lot of people think that you know, the medical profession is really knowledgeable about this or all these scientists know about all this kind of stuff. And sadly, there aren't very many science, real scientists who do. I'm probably one of the few scientists who was actually published in the National Institutes of Health Medical Database uh, for example, who actually deals with this kind of stuff. But a lot of, most scientists, they stay away from this because they think it'll hurt their reputation, uh, or if they work for certain types of companies, they can't patent it. Uh, you don't get government research grants, which is what I was trying to do years ago for this. Uh, so it kind of discourages people from, from looking this way. On the other hand, should it hit here in a major way, uh, I think we will find that there will be a lot more respect for certain aspects of uh, holistic interventions, mm. herbs, nutrition, and that type of thing. And yeah. I hope that uh, it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. But biblically, I think at some point in time, we we're going get, to get faced with uh, some diseases that we didn't think we could get hit hard by. But we'll see when that's going to be. Mm -hmm. Jesus said to watch. He didn't say precisely when. As a matter of fact, he said, you, won't, you don't know when yet. And we don't know yet. Yeah. Yeah, it does seem like as people get more and more sick, they're looking for the truth of what the answers are, why they're sick, and what can what can help them, really. <laughs> so I definitely see where you're coming from, where if it does get to be a big problem here, then people are going to try to figure out what the answers are. So, Paul, do you have any other questions for Dr. Teal? 
I do, Dr. Teal. Um, a lot of people, this is my last question and um, a little bit of a, a comment as well. A lot of people don't realize that Wuhan, China is bigger than the size of New York City. And it is under, there's 50 million plus people under some sort of medical quarantine. What would it look like here? I mean, if something like that happened in New York City or LA, how would everyday life in the United States be dramatically different for the average uh, United States citizen? Well, the average United States citizen wouldn't put up with what's going on over in China. Uh, I just saw a headline today uh, from the New York Times, by the way, that says something to the effect, uh, China's economy is slowing down from a virus just like Europe got affected during the bubonic plague. And I think that's an exaggeration. Uh, but th th there was some kind of hint like that in, in the headline. In order to do in the United States what's going on in China, you would have a lot of soldiers. Uh, they'd have to call up the National Guard probably, and they would be enforcing people couldn't travel, and that people would find very, very frustrating, difficult. Uh, the government would probably supply some food, which is sort of what's going on in, in China. I heard a report this morning that they still have vegetables and fruit, but they're running a little low on rice, but the people, they're still feeding them. But the economy of, would just basically be shut down. Now, New York is kind of unique in that you've got the stock markets based out of there, and I presume that they would probably keep that open, but a lot of people would that be moving in, in China. They don't even want people to go out of their houses yeah. in a lot of those places or apartments. And that, that would really hurt uh, the economy of any, any place, not just the United States, not just any one city here. I mean, it would be a, a, a big, big deal. And it would be really hard to recover from it. Uh, we'll see what happens to China and if this will bother their economy. I know the, the Chinese president, I think it was yesterday, indicated that it wasn't uh, it won't last too much longer. It's going to be a problem, but we'll get past it. And they will eventually get past it, but to what kind of damage their economy, I don't know. And again, it would be very damaging here, and people, it would be really unsettling if the United States actually did something to the degree China has done. It would be mm. totally unprecedented. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Americans would be very uh, taken back on their heels with something like that, and a lot of people um, are not, they're not quite aware that these things can happen. Um, in 1918, there was the Spanish flu that wiped out, you know, over 50 million uh, people worldwide and infected 150 million, something like that. And so these things can happen again. Um, I think it's very interesting how you tie this to theology. Um, President Xi over there in China has been quoted in calling this disease, uh, this uh, coronavirus, a demon and we cannot let it hide. That was a direct quote from him. So I think that, that ties in quite nicely to the theology that, you know, perhaps we are dealing with something that is of biblical proportions and we do need to be uh, prepared physically, spiritually, and mentally because um, we don't know what, what's coming. And the best thing that we can do is just not panic and to be prepared. Well, I don't, yeah, we don't, I don't think we need to panic about it. Uh, but I did, I actually did see the comment you mentioned uh, from uh, from the Chinese president about about it being a demon in hiding, and they if I don't know if you saw it, they've already built like two hospitals in Wuhan in the last two weeks or something. Wow! But those hospitals, the, one of the ones that I saw on, on the news last night, it only had a thousand beds, 
And if you've got, you know, thousands of that, more than that who've, who've got the disease over there. And again, they also, if you go to the hospital, they don't, so far they don't have a treatment. Uh, maybe they'll come up with one. It wouldn't surprise me if over there some of the uh, uh, oriental medical doctors, the original Chinese medicine, uh, using herbs and stuff, that they may not try to treat it with that. Uh, I've done research on Chinese herbs. I don't consider myself the world's greatest expert on them because I'm, I'm not an acupuncturist, but I have looked in several of them, actually quite a few, and a lot of them have been de have demonstrated antiviral effects. So it wouldn't surprise me over in, in China right now if they're looking at, at that. And perhaps uh, after they get it more under control, maybe they'll somebody write a paper about it. Maybe we'll, we'll see. And perhaps we'll learn some stuff about it we don't have, we don't know already. Hopefully that it will be contained. What they're doing over in China is very drastic, very dramatic. Uh, quarantine, by the way, is biblical. Uh, I've never heard of it to the degree that the Chinese are doing it, but um, it, it hopefully will help. Uh, there have been, there also, one hope is that as the temperature increases, they were hoping that that'll decrease uh, the virus's ability to spread, but others say, no, that's not really gonna do it. But historically, after time, Viruses do tend to die out. Um, you know, SARS did, MERS did. Uh, this one likely will. But again, since we don't know the full extent of it, um, we'll see what happens. And uh, uh, Jesus said, watch and pray. And again, if I think it came to our neighborhood or our area, I would, I would personally take some, some additional steps, such as you know, some supplements and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So do you think that um, I don't know, I guess this is probably not the best question, but do you think it's too late for anyone to start trying to be healthy if they have not already? Or, I mean, it seems like your immune system should be built up before this even happened, but do you think that people should start, at least <laughs> if they haven't already? Well, yeah, immediately, for example, if you're eating lots of sugar, you can cut that out today. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, other short-term things you can do are immediately one is you're not exercising. You could start to slowly work into an exercise program, starting off with walking. And then you can check with your doctor if you're healthy enough to do more than that. That's the second thing. Another thing is uh, fasting can be helpful because uh, that can help your body uh, flush itself with toxins and burn, burn certain things and make your immune system a little bit stronger. Uh, so that's something somebody could do as well. So those are two or three things that you can do. You can start within a day or two or, or immediately, actually, Okay. That, that I think could help. Yeah, that could definitely jumpstart it. So in terms of fasting, what kind of fast do you recommend? Well, it depends on the person. I've, I've done different types. Uh, I've, done, I've done juice fasts. Um, haven't really done a water fast because uh, usually if I avoid water, I also avoid food. So I, I, I personally do complete ones as well. So it, it really depends on what a person's comfort, comfort level is. But one thing that somebody could do for a day, and it's safe for, unless you've got some things like diabetes and some other things like that may not be, but in general, uh, people can fast. Uh, juice fast is fairly easy to do, uh, to go uh, a day or two. Maybe, maybe just start one once for a day and see how you do, mm -hmm. which would be you basically make uh, fresh uh, juices. Uh, I think fruit juices taste better than vegetable ones, of course, <laughs> uh, but uh, you could try that for a day, and most mm -hmm. people can handle that. 
and that would be a way to uh, get the body to burn, burn, up, burn some calories perhaps you don't need, uh, bring in some nutrients to help uh, flush the body of some toxins and help strengthen your immune system, but that would be another way to do it. Okay. And of course, we mentioned about washing hands and things like that. I mean, you can do that now too, you don't, without you know, changing your diet or, mm. or doing anything. Yeah. Yeah, actually, you're right. There are some things that I've noticed even working with clients that are profound just within a week. People sometimes even notice if they take something like sugar out of their diet, they're feeling much better. So I, I could see how, um, you know, obviously, in general, a lot of people need to do a longer program to really get rid of the weeds and toxins and things in their body. But there's some big things that are simple solutions that can be moved and help with people so that they're not so immune compromised. So do you have any last thoughts, Dr. Teal? Uh, well, we, we do expect other novel viruses and other novel uh, pathogens. I, I don't think that should be unexpected. As I say, I've been warning about this since at least 2013. Uh, so I don't think it should come as a surprise. But I also think that those who want to put their entire faith in the medical profession for stuff like this might want to rethink it, uh, that there are, there are other options. Uh, you mentioned carrying various herbs and stuff, and I, I have them as well. Um, not because necessarily I'm worried about some massive pandemic, but I think it's better for a human body to support your immune system mm -hmm. than to compromise it or put foreign things into it to try to fight infections. And so in general, I would say, try to be healthy, uh, take real concrete steps to be healthier. And if you need to, there are some supplements that can help boost your immune system. And that's what I would recommend. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, thank you so much again for coming on the show. Is there um, anything that you can, uh, any references that you can like tell people where they can find you or some of the work that you do? Uh, let's see. Well, one is, a, I think, a book that you have that I wrote uh, called, uh, well, actually, I'll grab it for a second. Uh, this one? I think you have this one? Yes, I do. Wow. Right there. <laughs> okay. I mentioned this one because it talks about things like fasting and that kind of a thing, so that would be, be one. We talked about vitamins before, uh, but not on this show. A lot of people take synthetic vitamins, so this would be helpful. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, uh, there are studies that I've written that you can find at uh, Health Research uh, com. Another book, other than a book or two, I don't think there's anything we have for sale there. And so we can read more about some research that we've done on a variety of subjects. And okay. uh, in terms of products, we, well, we sell products to healthcare professionals such as yourself at doctorsresearch.com. So you're, mm -hmm. you know about that. Yeah, they're incredible supplements. And I've seen amazing things with my clients. And um, people can tell a difference when they're food versus synthetic. So it's definitely something for your listeners to think about if you're taking real, real nutrient food supplements versus synthetic. So I, I definitely agree. So again, thank you, Dr. Teal for coming on the show. And I, we really appreciate your time and we appreciate all the research that you do in this field. And it's, it's very, um, it's a very honorable thing to have you on here and be able to present this information to the world so we can kind of understand what is going on and how to deal with it. And even, even thinking about further in the future, what we can do to, to build our immune system. So if this doesn't knock us out, then, <laughs> you know, we're well prepared for other things. So I, I thank you again for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. All thank right, you, listeners. Doctor. 
Uh, Paul, did you have another word you want to say? No, I just, um, I just, like I said, you pretty much summed it up. I'm really thankful for the information and um, the things that we got to hear about today. And um, yeah, let's do it again. All right. Thank you all listeners again for joining us. And uh, just a reminder to visit CerebralDetox.com if you want to learn more about how to detox your body and maximize your brain power. So I am Dr. Jacqueline. I'm here so you know. God bless. My Super Immunity Boost Juice Guide is now available on thewellnesstrinity.com. You'll learn how to grow broccoli microgreens, the ingredients I put in my green juice, and super nutritious supplements you can add to enhance your immune system. Again, go to thewellnesstrinity.com and you'll receive your free Super Immunity Boost Juice Guide. Thank you for listening to the Wellness Trinity Podcast. Be sure to subscribe for more wellness tips to help you achieve optimal health. Don't forget to rate and review so we can continue to bring you the best content. See you on the next episode.